for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. And for our first episode, it was really a no-brainer who to have as a guest. Throughout our podcast series, you're going to hear folks refer to the family of WJPZ. Well, the unofficial father of the family would be our guest today who helped put the station on the air 50 years ago. Welcome, Dr. Rick Wright, to the podcast. Well, what a fantastic treat this is for the whole professor. Wow. I was checking my email the other day, and there was J.G. John Gay saying, Hey, Rick, I'm putting together a 50th anniversary a show, and I'm going to do all these interviews and all these incredible WJPC major market types all over the world now. And this is the year 2022. And I said, John, why me? I, you know, so, John, I'm not just a father. I'm getting older. I'm the grandfather <laughs> of WJPC radio as we broadcast live from Syracuse, New York, from the top, 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 top of the mountain, Olympus. The top of Mount Olympus for the station and your new digs on top of Bird Library. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm up in the uh, faculty commons uh, for all the great WJPZ family as a professor emeritus of the famous SI Newhouse School of Public Communications. Got access to a lot of nights. It's beautiful setup up here on the fifth floor and everything I really need to get this book. By the way, I'm working on a book. I turned up the radio that I've been promising all of you. And a lot of WJPZ's history is in the book. And this is the environment that I'm working in right now to get the book written. We are thrilled to hear that. And you've mentioned the book many times at a banquet, at as many of the uh, fellow alumni have heard. I'd like to ask if you would tell somewhat briefly how the station started, Craig Fox and Bill Bliley and all those guys oh, back wow. in 50 years ago. <laughs> because for those who haven't heard the story, maybe some of our younger alumni or current students, how did this whole thing get started five decades ago? Well, uh, John, in my case, uh, I came to Syracuse originally in 1970 as a doctoral fellow to get my uh, PhD here in Syracuse in instructional technology. And my two greatest mentors who got me here, Dr. Larry Myers. In fact, Dr. Myers just died last year. He made it to 100 years old, was the chair of the radio television program here at Syracuse. And Dr. Donald P. Ely, who was the head of the Center for Instructional Communications. He was our top audiovisual, educational media, radio, and television a scholar here at Syracuse University. And I came here first in 1970 as a doctoral fellow. And while here, I worked local radio, W-O-L-F. And then I had a full-time gig at W-N-D-R. Uh, and I was Rick Wright all through the night. What I didn't realize at that time when I was on air, all the Syracuse University radio TV uh, majors we're checking my show out. I'm still hearing this to this very day. And among that group were guys like Bob Costas, the great uh, sportscaster, of course. Bob's kind of in semi-retirement now. And, of course, Bill Blyley and Craig Fox. So let's fast forward. I spent my uh, couple of years here at Syracuse getting all my doctoral coursework done, and I was trying to get my dissertation rolling. And then I got a phone call from... Uh, my graduate school, where I got my master's degree at North Carolina Central University at Durham. Mm -hmm. So I took a pause and I said, maybe I could get my research done on the road. In fact, I was really collecting data. 
God works in mysterious ways for me. So I go down to Durham, North Carolina, and I'm on faculty at North Carolina Central University and ended up working at WDNC, which is a flagship radio station, the Duke Radio Sports Network mm-hmm. and the Durham Morning Herald. I'm doing the story. I'm getting to the JPZ part of this now. I can just show in and lay the foundation out. Sure, okay. sure. So I've also um, ended up uh, acting general manager and program director of another station, WLLE in Raleigh, an urban station at 570 on the dial. And then, of course, teaching at North Carolina Central University. Well, after a year in North Carolina, things are going great, but I said, I don't want to get comfortable. I still got to get my doctoral degree finished up up at Syracuse. So I left there and went to Trenton, New Jersey, and I was general manager of WTNJ in Trenton. Trenton, New Jersey. Trenton has on the bridge uh, that goes across the Delaware River, they have a big slogan, Trenton makes the world takes. And I'll tell you, as a old professor, as a manager of a radio station located between New York City and Philadelphia, I got taken. <laughs> so that, really, that case, I had a lot of fun, learned a lot. And so I left there and through the Syracuse University, a great alumni family of great broadcasters, Mr. Russell Tonneman, who was head of NBC Radio, New York City, offered me a gig. And I ended up going to Washington, D.C., uh, working at WRC, WKYS Radio. And also, I ended up on faculty at Howard University. Okay, now it's getting up close to spring of 1975, and I got a phone call. Best phone call I ever got in my life. It was from Syracuse University. Uh, Dean Hank Schulte, who was the dean of the Newhouse School, Dr. Larry Myers was on the phone, and Dr. Don Ely, all three. Mm -hmm. And they indicated to me that, hey, Roosevelt, we just finished building Newhouse 2 of the Newhouse School, and that they started, uh, I think they dedicated in 1974. And uh, Mr. William S. Paley, who's the president of CBS, uh, was the person who dedicated the building. So uh, Dr. Ely and Dr. Myers and Dean Shelby were on the phone. They said, Roosevelt, we now have the best radio television uh, teaching production facility probably in the United States of America, building two of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications. And the board of trustees, has uh, offered some new faculty lines and need more faculty. And it said the search committees have met. Everybody's talked about a guy who was here at Syracuse named Rick Wright. <laughs> and they said, Rick, uh, and then Dr. Ely said, okay, now we got to get you back to Syracuse and get your doctoral degree finished up. And we also want to uh, offer your position on faculty at the Newhouse School. So to my great WJPZ family, I leave Washington, D.C., head back to Syracuse, and I hit back here at Syracuse August of 1975. Came up famous Interstate 81, John, that you know all about, you know, and all you JPZers. Oh, yeah. Okay. I meet with Dr. Larry Myers, and Dr. Myers, okay, Roosevelt, welcome aboard. Here are the keys to your office. My office was 381 in the Newhouse School, Newhouse 2 building. And so I'm, I get into my office, you know, it's bare. I got to put the books in. There were no computers in those days, you know, cell electric typewriters. Oh, yeah. Trying to fix my office up pretty good. And I'd only been there. I think I had been in my, maybe I was spent my third trip to my office. And John, a famous knock came at my door. Hey. Hey, Dr. Rick, uh, Professor Wright, are you in there? And I said, yes, guys, hold it one second. And I went to the door and opened up the door and standing in my door, 381 Newhouse School, Building 2, was Craig Fox and Bill Bliley. 
And at that time, Bill Blally was the general. He was the, well, let me, I'll, I'll get to that part. Just, well, Bill and Craig Fox are there and they walk in and they say, Professor, Dr. Myers indicated that you were on your way back. And we remember you a few years ago when you were here as a, as a, as a grad. So I think they were like freshmen or whatever. I said, yeah, guys, I'm here. I said, man, we, we need a radio professor and you're the answer to our dreams. I said, look, we are starting, a, we have already started a new radio station on campus. And uh, the call letters are WJPZ. And I said, hey, those call letters sound pretty nice, guys. Hmm. Uh, and they said, well, hey, we got the call letter rhyme scheme from W-A-B-C. In New York City. And that's time Music Radio 77 W-A-B-C was the powerhouse of America with old buddy Chuck Leonard, you know, Dan Ingram, mm -hmm. Harry Harrison doing the mornings <laughs> and all those guys, you know. And of course, uh, so I said, okay, guys, great. They said, but sir, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? The university is, is trying to kick us off campus. I said, kick you all off campus? or Why? They said, well, really, uh, we got all of the old WAER broadcast equipment. There, here's the story, WJPZ family. Newhouse 2 was built, creating new broadcast studio facilities for WAER, which at that time was completely student-run and operated. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the early building for WAER, it was built in 1940. Six, when WAER went on the air with Dr. Myers and Dean Kenneth Bartlett and all, and it became really the first uh, low-powered FM radio station on the non-commercial band in the United States of America. So can you imagine a building where a radio station has been in since 1946 and now it's 19, what, 74? Well, the building was, had got to a stage of dilapidation historic building right behind Carnegie Library at Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. So they didn't need all that equipment, you know, that new buildings up, brand new, you know, Harris audio boards, everything up on the fourth floor of the Newhouse School with the new facilities for WAER radio. So the old WAER broadcast equipment, uh, before they tore the building down, what did they do with the equipment? They took all the equipment and threw it in a dumpster. <laughs> Headed for the, you know, <laughs> headed for the, the graveyard of broadcast equipment. Well, Craig Fox, and I love him. Craig was just a genius broadcast engineer. And Craig, I think, was electrical engineering major and also oh, taking courses, majoring stuff over in Newhouse. So Craig was there standing in the door and he said, yeah, professor, I got the old equipment. And Bill Blyley came to him and said, hey, Craig. He saw all this equipment in the dumpster. I think they left the dog, maybe, you know, coming off of uh, Battle Olympus or whatever, <laughs> the phaser in Syracuse. And they saw all of this equipment in the dumpster. So Bill Blowley looks at Craig and said, Craig, hey, man, why don't we take all this equipment out? Craig said, you're right. Let's set up another station. So on University Avenue, which is pretty much right across from where the Newhouse School is now, right. the big three-building complex, beautiful there, and in a spot, there's a big Sheraton Hotel here on the campus there. Well, in those days, it was a three-story wooden house there, which really set, was sort of into the setting for what I call the ad hoc student union building mm -hmm. at Syracuse. So I said, so, so Craig, I said, Craig, Bill, show me the station. So we walked out of my office, walked across uh, Waverly over University Ave, and walked into the student union building which is this big three-story wooden house 
and uh, Spectrum Records was in there, the Student Government Association offices and stuff. And they, we went down to the back, and it was in the basement. <laughs> so we walked down in the basement, and the uh, wonderful radio students of that era, we talked the mid 1970s, they had built a radio station. I mean, they had studios, control room, uh, you know, audio studios and everything in the basement. And of course, they basically commandeered the basement. And the only thing down in the basement, one of those old big gravity furnaces, you know, the, the, the air, you know, gravity furnaces set there with a big duck. Which you need in Syracuse. But, yeah, which you need, yes, of course, in Syracuse. There can be a little bit of a chill in the air here, you know, upstate New York in the wintertime. Well, anyhow, John, and to our radio, to our listeners of this show, I hope I'm not boring you all to death, but this is a true story about WJPC. So I walked down that day and being a radio guy, I walked in with Craig and Bill, Craig Fox and Bill Bliley and looked at, and man, the place was neat. I mean, they, those days we're talking turntables, mm-hmm. cart machines, records and stuff. I mean, he, it was just organized, just a beautiful look. And that day there had to have been at least maybe 12 students uh, down there all sitting around in the station. And there was a disc jockey who I'll never forget. This was emotional for me, but it was Johnny, Johnny D was his name. And Johnny D was sightless. Uh, Doing this stage in the history of Syracuse University, uh, there were a number of young people who were sightless. And of course, they live in a world of audio. So radio, you know, the audio is their world. Absolutely. And there was Johnny D on the air, man. And of course, the, uh, let me explain the, uh, for you radio types, audio board, I think was a, an old General Electric, or either, I, he was a General Electric, one of the Harris audio boards that we had from WAER, all hooked up. These are knobs, not sliders back at that time, right? Yes, these are rotary, rotary knobs on the board there, the mic hanging across in front of it. And the turntables were like uh, some turntables that came out of the dom, I was about this dom room, had a couple of turntables there. And they had the Spotmaster cart machines, which were sitting, you know, on a shelf they had built right on top of the audio board. In fact, I found a picture in uh, a Syracuse yearbook. Uh, that I'm looking at the book I'm writing. I'm going to have to get copyrights on that picture and have it in the book. But it's a picture of the WJPZ studios there that day. And, of course, they had, you know, the charts on the wall about the format and all. And they're sitting around. And I, here is Johnny D was on the air. And this is the moment that I just never forget. A brand new faculty professor here at Syracuse University. Johnny D is on the air. And I, I mean, this kid was really sound like he was at major market New York City somewhere. And he's on the air. WJPC 1200 T-Rock, you know. And I said, wow. And by the way, the power output was one-tenth of a watt. Craig Fox, it was his genius engineering self. He's got an incredible way of interpreting, doing an interpretation of the engineering part 73 rules, you know, the FCC Mm -hmm. with regards to, you know, radio stations. And he found that if you have a radio station that is operating with one-tenth of a watt or lower, it's legal to be on the air. And Craig built the transmitter. And of course, the transmitter was up on Mount Olympus with a, with a wire hanging down the side of the dome, which really gave a signal of at least about three or four miles of the campus. There you go. The whole thing was covered. Yes, at 1200 on the dial. So I looked, I said, Craig uh, and Bill, what, what's the problem? They said, Professor, we can't get any professor or someone to help us here. Everybody's turned us down and they, you know, we keep getting these letters from the student affairs that we must cease and desist and get out of the basement. 
I said, hold it, guys. Yo, you guys need to be a, yeah, a student organization. I said, okay, let's settle this right there. So Bill Bliley and Craig Fox and yours truly, Professor Rick Wright, we go over to Student Affairs. And I walk in, introduce myself. I'm Professor Rick Wright, new faculty member in the SI Newhouse School of Public Communication, Radio, Television, Film Department. And uh, I want to, I'm, I'm the new advisor for the WJPZ organization. And uh, please give me all the paperwork that is needed to basically make a student organization legal on campus. Mm-hmm. And they handed me all the documents and everything. And I never forget the day I'm sitting there. And the days of, uh, there were no beautiful computers like you have in the year 2022, this is 1975. The key baby was the IBM cell electric type, right? You know, the little rotary ball. <laughs> no, before my time, I hate to say it, I was born in 1980, so. Oh, oh, God, my God, this is five years before you, JG. <laughs> okay, anyhow, I sat there and I said, okay, Craig, Bill, let's, I feel, start filling out the paperwork. As let's name it WJPZ Radio. And I say, eventually one day we'll get incorporated, but WJPZ Radio. And then, of course, you know, you fill it out, you know, and then I say, hey, guys, give me some names. Bill Blowley, I wrote him down as a general manager, Craig Fox, program director, chief engineer, and everything else. And then, of course, they give me some of the names of some of the other students. So, you know, name out people who will be the, you know, uh, operations manager. You know, these are the announcers. Uh, they had somebody, somebody Alex Sales. Also, another thing that with that station on the air, the students already were going out to like fast break daily. Some of the joints, you know, selling pizzas and mm-hmm. reaching out, you know, to the student population here in Syracuse. They were selling, you know, on the air, get, you know, get the money to make things happen. Well, anyhow, we fill out the forms and there was a line, you know, faculty advisor. And I said, you know, Professor Roosevelt, Rick Wright, Jr., Newhouse School, Public Communications, blah, 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 faculty advisor. And then I handed all the material. I think Peter Bajan, I think Peter was head of student affairs. And he pulled me and said, Professor, thank God for you. We didn't know what to do with the station, but now that they're a legal student organization, everything is okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the beginnings of WJPZ Radio and Professor Rick Wright, the first faculty advisor, and also really the, the person who just loves the station in, the, in that initial stage. When I got back here, September of 1975, as a professor of the Newhouse School of Public Communications. So that is 47 years ago, as you record this here in October of 2022. You've had a front row seat for everything. You are the one constant in the station's history, Dr. Wright. As you think back over almost half a century, what are some of the significant moments in the station's history that stick out to you? Oh, wow. I know there's a lot, but if you had to pick a few. Oh, gosh, I'm telling you. Okay, I, let, me, let, me, let me go. Todd Parker. Todd Parker, God bless his soul. Todd, I had I lost contact with hope he's still alive in his life. But Todd Parker was on air. And another great name is Mike Roberts. In fact, Mike was out of Buffalo, New York, crazy about radio broadcasting. In fact, Mike owns a bunch of stations there down in Georgia. He went to Atlanta, V103, morning announcer years ago, and just lit Atlanta, Georgia up. Major market. Famous urban station. We're trying to get him on the podcast as well. Oh, you got to have Mike on. But anyhow, I'm getting back to this area. You know, everybody being students here at, at the university. Well, anyhow, one day Todd Parker came over to my office. This, and he loved radio. And he came in and kind of sat there. And he was having I, one, a couple of classes. He was having some problems. I said, Todd, this is what you need to do in the class. It wasn't my class. Some other professor's class. You, so you get out of this, man. They, in those days, everybody basically lived at the radio station. But Todd was on there and said, Professor... I don't think anybody's listening to WJPZ radio. 
I said, Todd, look, whenever you're on the air behind a microphone, you never, you never know who's listening. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is one tenth of a watt. In fact, Craig was such a genius engineer. God knows uh, the signal was really getting out, even after I signed off as the faculty manager of the station. When he and Todd Parker came in, and then a couple of days later, Todd came back to my office. I guess what Todd told me. He said, Professor Wright, you were right. That's what you mean, Todd. He said, I just got a call from Bob Carolyn. Bob Carolyn was the program director of WHEN here in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And in those days, HEN was owned by Meredith Broadcasting. Eventually, Arc Broadcasting bought the station. But WHEN at that time had uh, reshuffled the deck and became really like the number one radio station in Syracuse. And, and, uh, Bob Carolyn called Todd and said, hey, Todd, I've been listening to your show. I said, where? Over at WJPZ Radio. So Bob Carolyn, who was the program director, God, but I think Bob's going to heaven also, was there listening to JPZ Radio, trying to find part-time announcers to work at 620 WHEN here in Syracuse. And that was an incredible moment. I said, okay, this is what I'm talking about. Then, of course, uh, what I did also, I taught a course at radio, television, announcing and performance. Which I took in 2001. Oh, yes. And then the key thing about it, anybody who was working at the station, you know, you're on air. That was a part of the class. I said, you know, some of the lectures and stuff that we'll be doing, if you're working at the station, bring your tapes by. Let's play them to the class. And In fact, I want to say, if memory serves, I think I was VP of Ops at the station when I took your class, and you still gave me a B, not an A. Oh, my God. I got to change that. Oh, maybe I can. Uh, we'll have to go back into the record. Let's go back into the record. Okay, Jeho. Oh, God. Everybody in the world is listening to this, huh? Well, I'm a professor emeritus now. But as far as I can say, you got an A+. Plus, a I plus, appreciate a that. Plus, a plus, John. <laughs> <laughs> a plus, A plus again. For the record, John, JG got an, an A plus. Whatever I gave him back in those days, it's A plus. He's become major market material. But also, I think the rigor, too. Maybe I kind of give those grades, make sure you all are getting with the program. Keeping us honest. I got gotcha. you. Keep you honest. You know what I mean? But of course, I knew all of you would be great, successful people in the business. And I also have a better in the industry, knowing what you would be up against, you know, in this industry. And of course, we got some challenges there. I want to come back to that later on, where we are now in the industry, for sure. And we'll, we'll get to that, too. But also, I'll never forget another case. The station was sounding great. In fact, Craig, with his great engineering ability, is absolutely fantastic. And we were at 1,200 on the dial. And, of course, here in Syracuse, uh, at that time, it was another radio station at 1,220 on the dial, WSOQ, which is broadcasting out in North Syracuse, New York. And then WNDR was at 1260. From some uh, strange occurrence on the engineering side, everybody started saying, they raised a question, hey, what about this new radio? Somebody call the FCC up. Let's just get down with the program. Hey, what about this new radio station that's on the air 1200 in Syracuse? And the FCC came and said, what, what new radio station at 1200 on the <laughs> dial? There was no, uh, you know, we were working with the one-tenth of a watt, you know, the 7.73 rule. And the uh, I think transmitter power, Craig's, was pretty much where it should be. But Craig's genius with uh, audio modulation and amplitude modulation radio. As everybody thought it was a new state. So really what happened, um, the FCC showed up. <laughs> looking for this new radio station. <laughs> and of course, they looked all over the place, couldn't find it. They ended up going up and, and absolutely that day did a 
engineering inspection of WAER radio. Right. And then, of course, WAER's towers up uh, in, in the top of Mount Olympus, uh, on top of the big, beautiful mountain mount here at Syracuse University. So they went to see the transmitter, and that's where WJPZ's transmitter was. And they said, oh, my God, here's the transmitter. Oops. And it was like it was like in a little cage, you know, off to the side. And, of course, the antenna was actually a wire yep. which dropped from the top right down the side of the building. We're talking the 1970s there, guys. So pretty much what had happened, uh, we got kind of a cease and stop operating at the station. And everybody came to me and they really kind of put a lock on the station, said, you know, hey, uh, this station not to be operated. But thank God that in my case, I was a broadcast engineer myself, first phone broadcast engineer. And uh, the engineering officer of, who was head of the FCC, you know, for this region of New York State, though, was a friend that I knew from Norfolk, Virginia. Mr. J.J. Friedman was his name. And I called Mr. Friedman. I said, J.J., said, oh, Rick, I'm at Syracuse. Oh, man, what a... I said, look, I'm the, I'm the faculty uh, manager and advisor for the station, for the wonderful broadcast students here at Syracuse. And he said, okay, I, we'll, we'll take care. Don't worry. It's still legal. So, yeah, Rick, no problem. You, I didn't realize you were there. So, got stage back on there. That was a key point. It was a key point. And it's important to mention, too, to our listeners, though some listeners and some guests on this podcast who, is, who have received the Rick Wright Lock Scholarship Award given out at the banquet every year. For those who don't know, this is the origin of the name of that, of, of that uh, award <laughs> from the lock that was put on the station as you've told the story over the years. Yeah, that's back in the 1970s. And, uh, some people weren't around. In fact, Todd Parker, uh, who I just mentioned earlier, and Mike Roberts and all the guys who were around. I don't think Mike got near yet from Buffalo. But anyhow, what had happened, they were, they, I did get a nice caller from the FCC, we had FCC and I. And of course, really being a, a person who worked in radio, because I'm my hometown's in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And a station, I grew up in the Rollins Broadcast Company. They had a station in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. W-R-A-P, 850 on the dial, urban facility. And Ms. Leola Dyson, who was my godmother, was my mentor. But in the meantime, uh, when I got my first phone, my first class FCC radio broadcast engineering license, which I got really out of my industrial arts electronics major at Elizabeth City State University. Mm -hmm. And I took the exam at the FCC office, federal building in Norfolk, Virginia, you know, for my first phone. And that was Mr. Freak. God works in mysterious ways. And Mr. Friedman, who was there uh, at that time, became the head broadcast engineer in those days, you know, the, the field engineering office, which was based in Buffalo, New York. So that later years, you never know what could happen. Keeping your network alive. Don't burn those bridges. You never know who can help you down the road. Don't burn the bridge. That's exactly. So then from that standpoint, uh, we kept kicking. Another great moment, though, uh, you got to realize this was WJPZ on the, you know, on the AM dial. And in fact, we, we switched frequency from 1200 to 990. Mm-hmm. And that basically got away, you know, from the, you know, we had a couple other states, like I said, WNDR was at 1260 on the dial. And then WSOQ was operating at 1220, which was a daytimer with an incredible signal. So basically moved freaks from 1200 down to uh, 990. And in fact, Craig had selected W, the 1200 spot, because I think there were only two radio stations in America on 1200. I think WOAI down in uh, San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> I remember thinking back to those days. But anyway, we went to 990 on the dial. But here is another great moment. And it's really cable, cable television. Mm-hmm. WJPZ uh, 
At that time, there were two cable TV systems here in upstate New York, and Syracuse had did not have a cable TV franchise yet. But New Channels, uh, which is owned by the Newhouse family, had cable franchise covering all of the suburbs of Syracuse, you know, Fanville, Manlius, you know, out the high rent district. All yeah. right. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm also a naval officer and I had a very dear friend of mine who was a Air Force pilot with the 174 named Joe Rode. And uh, Joe was grounded. He had gotten a, a, the medical guys had grounded him to do ground duty. And we were very close. I went out to Hancock Field one day, I think, to get something at that time. This is back in the 1980s, the early part of the 80s, oh, late 1979 or 80s. I think it was, let me get a year. I think it was 1980 or 1981, that period, okay? Okay. And a naval officer, I was a lieutenant commander at the time, Navy, doing a lot for the United States Navy. So I just got to Hancock Field. So one day, Joe told me, said, Rick, I got to go out to the runway. And he loved kids. And that day, there were four kids who, had, who, had, who basically made the trip out to Hancock Field that Joe Rode would have them around showing them. You know, these kids were crazy about aviation, jet planes and airplanes and aviation. So we're in this, uh, we're in this Air Force panel truck, and we drive the truck and park it right at the very end of runway 28. And what Joe had to do was looking at all the planes to make sure they had the landing gear in town. <laughs> and so these four uh, young people, maybe young, beautiful guys, they, I think they were probably maybe eight, nine years old. And this called a field trip, you know. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, uh, Joe said, this is my buddy, Rick Wright here, Professor Wright. He's also at the Newhouse School. And the kid said, hey, do you know anything about that radio station? I said, what radio station? WJPZ radio. Ah. I said, yeah. I'd say, my God, how do you guys, oh, we listened to it on our television set. <laughs> and what had happened, Mike Roberts, God, but Mike was an incredible general managing leader too, had made a deal with new channels to broadcast WJPZ on the public access channel. You know, they had, in those days, they would have a public access channel right. where they had basically local programming. But usually what they had was visuals up on the screen showing the weather. And they would have a visual of, say, uh, Bill Rapp, you know, Bill, who, God bless his soul, he's dead and gone. His, his business is still going. Automobile, they would sell time. And you have a visual on the screen. And so the audio track was WJPZ Radio. That's interesting to me because I didn't realize, I knew that at some point the station uh, from its AM days had gotten onto cable. I was under the impression that was on campus, but it wasn't on campus. It was in the suburbs. Oh, yes, the suburbs. So all the kids out there in the uh, high-rent district of, why don't I call this the high-rent district? (laughs) Anybody who knows the market knows why you're calling it the high-rent district. Okay. Well, you know, these, I mean, these, are, these are wonderful kids there. They all, you know, they got nice TVs, nice homes out there in the suburbs, and they all listen to WJPC radio. Now, in the meantime, there were other urban stations, not urban, we didn't have a full-time urban state, other top 40 CHR stations in town. Uh, there was uh, WNDR, and of course, uh, WFBL, WOLF was really kind of the job, but AM radio was kind of, Kind of, kind of fighting, uh, had it redefined itself in here because FM was going to come about. But no, it was on new channels uh, to our great WJPZ family. And uh, Mike Roberts was the uh, general manager at the time who put that deal together. So all these kids out in the suburbs are listening to WJPZ radio and not the other WOLFs at all. And they were listening to Wolf and all, but 
WJPZ. And of course, now the station always had, even in those days, had a professional sound. Always. Also, John, I get back again and, and uh, to get to this point. Craig and Bill Blowers' original objectives for the station was to put together a training ground, mm-hmm. uh, a training ground for working in really radio broadcasting, uh, the professional sound of radio, the big formats then were, of course, uh, contemporary hit radio, Top 40, Urban Contemporary was big, Country was big, and of course, some of the old line stations, which were like WSYR at the time, were, you know, adult, what they call a middle-of-the-road station, but the yep. young people were into CHR, you know, Top 40. Sure. And those were the jobs were, you know, all over the country. So the key was to put together a professional sounding CHR radio station for training. Which has stayed the course of time over 50 years. Yes. So after we go on cable, we've now moved on the AM dial. In the mid 80s, we move over to FM, which is a certain big deal in the history of the station. But here's a story on this. Okay. WAER Radio was completely student-run and operated, okay? Mm -hmm. And then politics surfaced on the campus. Really, it's all about money. And WAER was in the Newhouse building and was part of the Newhouse School of Public Communications then, completely student-run and operated. And at the time, um, the... Well, let me just give it out. Okay, I'm... Late years here. Let me give you a real story. <laughs> the lab fee money that uh, students were paying a part of their tuition went into the uh, Newhouse School's coffers for, you know, supporting WAER radio and, the, you know, the, the audio labs and TV studios and everything. Yeah. And really what had happened was the Newhouse School was reorganized at that time into three divisions. Uh, Dean Hank Schulte, in his uh, last years as dean, reorganized the school to three divisions. One division was under Professor Cleve Matthews, the journalism, you know, print side of the business. And then uh, Professor Ed Stevens, who had come here as an advertising guy out of Chicago, became the assistant associate dean, that is, for the intermediate area, which is magazine, advertising, public relations, and all. And then we brought another person in by the name of Dr. David Berkman, who came in from Washington, D.C., to be the head of really what they call, in those days, they changed the name to telecommunications, which was really television radio cell. Yeah. So we had these three divisions. Mm-hmm. Now, in the interview session with uh, Dr. Berkman, who came up from Washington, D.C., the question was on the table about WAER radio. What would you do with WAER? And he said, oh, man, you guys should make it a public radio station. You know, you know basically affiliated with national public radio and the Corporation of Public Broadcast, CPB. Yep. As in, with a professional staff, uh, you can, uh, you know, there's monies that would come that way would be a good way to support WAER radio. Well, that also really basically took control of the stations from the students to make this happen. And at that time, WAER radio was way ahead of its time. Its programming was incredible. I mean, news, they had an all-night urban show, 360 ebony degrees, Butch Charles, Kenny D's, and all those good guys. Incredible show, man. So basically, to make the long story short, the students lost control of WAER radio when they made that move in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. It was really a real, I mean, I was, I was sad because I said, this is not the way to go. But anyhow, what happened was, the students really, they were protests, all kind of goodies here. And I hope Sean McDonough is listening to this because Sean, I'm going to give you your props. He was a big leader 
in trying to maintain the leadership of the station as, you know, student run and operated. Well, anyway, they went the other route. And uh, basically what happened, the students and of course, Student Government Association was also putting money into WAER radio along with the lab fee, you know, to basically support the station financially, sure. which is, you know, a non-commercial radio station. Of course, the station was for to train students in the art and science of radio broadcasting and all of his various ancillary elements. Well, anyhow, the Student Government Association were furious. Students were up in an uproar. And uh, so WAER basically goes in that direction. That was WJPZ Radio. I had a course. I was teaching a class in the Newhouse School, Radio Management, a management course, Mm -hmm. which dealt with really the whole business of how to buy radio stations, how to develop radio stations, what you got them, how to program them, you know, all the the components of running a radio station. And really, from the standpoint of a major market scenario. And then I said, then uh, Mark Humble, Mark was the chief engineer of WAER Radio, myself, being a broadcast. We were always talking about the the spectrum here in uh, Syracuse. Well, P.V. Moore High School up in Central Square was way ahead of its time. They had a 10-watt FM radio station. (laughs) And uh, this is, I mean, they went on air like in the 1960s. And here's a very rural community in upstate New York. P.V. Moore High School had a radio station, man. But really, I think they had a real... A foresight, I mean, really a, a way ahead of his time science professor there who put the station on the air. And I think after this pr- professor died or either retired, I'd never had a chance to have met him. I got to do some research and find out who he is to be in this book that I'm writing. Well, anyhow, what happened, the folk up there didn't know what to do with the radio station. So they turned the license back in. And basically, when they turned the license back in, we looked at the did a frequency search here, did some mathematical you know, engineering calculations. And said, my God, we could put a radio, a new FMR uh, on air, not with a lot of power, though, but, you know, run 100 watts, 200 watts at 89.1 megahertz, mm-hmm. which was right between WAER at 88.3. And then, of course, WRVO, Oswego State's radio station was there. And this is going to be another topic, but won't get me in this, this is a long story on this one. Well, anyhow, what happens uh, in my radio broadcast management course in the, in the Newhouse School of that era. This is the early 80s and the students I had in and uh, boy, every time I think of Dave Gorath, boy, Dave's doing great. I'm just thinking of names. I'm getting, I'm having a senior moment. Most of whom I'm trying to get on the podcast. I'm Rick. having a senior moment here to the WJP3 family. Hey, let me stop you there for a second because you mentioned WRVO in Oswego. Yes. And I, his name is escaping me, but who was the crusty old professor? Oh, professor, and I love it. John, no, he was here too. Uh, Miss Professor Dr. John Oldfield, and he is. Oldfield, yes. Yeah, he's dead and gone. He really. Uh, if memory serves, he would write complaints to the FCC about yes. JPZ and basically tried to get us thrown off because we were interfering with uh, RVO up in Oswego. Yes, and RVO, of course, was in Oswego. Eventually, they put another sub a translator that's on air right to this very day to straighten that problem out. But getting back to the WJPZ FM story, basically in my class and the students, I always, always had my class were always loaded with students, especially the radio people. Oh, yeah. And of course, uh, I said, I came to class that day and I said, hey, you know what? With all this stuff that's going on right now, why don't we look at putting WJPZ radio on the FM dial? And I, I kind of talked to him about engineering and spectrum allocations and all, and indicating that Mark, who was the chief engineer at that time with WAER, Mark left him, became the head of broadcast engineering 
at Temple University mm-hmm. in New York. In, excuse me, not New York. Temple in Philadelphia, Broad Street there. So anyhow, we looked at it and I said, hey, let's do this. Let this class, uh, the new, uh, let's rewrite the syllabus. And what we're going to do is put WJPZ Radio on FM. And let's use this class as our laboratory to learn how to put a brand new radio station on the air from ground level up. And there weren't a lot of stations on FM at that point in the mid-80s, right? Not really. Because, you know, yeah. In fact, uh, in a lot of the FM stations weren't doing anything pretty much here in Syracuse. You know, I mean, what I'm getting at is eventually... Uh, uh, W-O-U-R, for instance, out of uh, Ithaca, Utica, was a powerhouse FM that was coming along, and it was creating some nice havoc. Then um, W-S-O-Q uh, had an FM that came on the air, and eventually uh, it changed its format. But then uh, there was another, 104.7, uh, which is now B-104, country station in Syracuse, yep. became an automated top 40 station on FM. And a uh, Great guy, John Carucci, who's still alive and here in Syracuse on air. Magic 104.7. (laughs) But, you know, the FM story was getting ready to happen. But, of course, WJPZ was a big part of that here in Syracuse. And, of course, um, hey, you know, all the 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 FCC application form, which, you know, statement of ownership. We we, taught the students all about the ownership side. We had to basically put together a corporation, and it is now. WJPC Radio Incorporated. Just as you said it would 10 years prior. Okay, and that's what we uh, we did. Then, of course, we set the class up to different groups to work on the programming format that had that section had to be filled out with the application. Then, of course, the engineering section, there's Craig Fox, all the other good folk in town uh, to get the engineering part done. And then, of course, there's a financial section that we had to put together uh, indicating, you know, the money we were going to have available at all. And then the Student Government Association that was really furious at that time over what had happened to WAER basically came up with the money to uh, give us a good seed money to get going, to get the uh, equipment bought, get the license application in. And then, of course, I never forget one day the students came to me one day and said, Professor, we need a, another piece from you. I said, what? You know, due to the fact that we as students, we keep coming and going, the FCC needed to have someone who would be here to be stable. I said, no problem. I'm the, I'm the faculty, you know, advisor. Mm-hmm. and uh, wrote a letter that went into the file that uh, I would be here at the university and standing by as a faculty advisor, mentor, and consultant with all the students, you know, to maintain WJPC radio. And so, wow, we got the license. 100 watts at 89.1, transmitter on the top of Day Hall, Mount Olympus, and we went on the air, and there's a Fascinating photograph of Mary, Mary, Mary Mancini. Yes. In that Daily Orange. Turning on the switch for WJPZ FM. And the rest is history. And of course, at that time, we were down in uh, Watson. Yep. It's where the studios were because we had moved the studios, the WJPZ studios. Uh, when we had the FM, the AM stage with Mike and everybody was at the, on the, we had moved out of the basement, by the way, the basement here at Syracuse, you know, what with the ad hoc student union building to the uh, top floor. I think we opened the attic, I believe. From the basement to the attic, moving on up in the world. To the attic. Yeah. And then, of course, when the um, FM scenario, we had to get a new studio complex. And of course, we were able to get right next to the old good food store. 
which was there in Watson. I remember that. That was where we were until uh, the studio got rebuilt again, and we were in the house uh, on Ostrom Ave. Yes, because uh, one of our big alums came out with a big money to renovate Watson into a student media center because we had UUTV, which is now uh, Orange, no, no, Citrus TV. They've renamed it so many times. Yeah, Citrus, beautiful facility. Then, of course, the good food store moved out, and I said, oh, my God, we need more space. And I got to Chancellor cantering all that time and said, got a radio station. Said, oh, no problem. So then we got money came in and then we got one of the best radio broadcast facilities, I think, in the country, just as good as anybody, WJPZ in the student, but it's a Mitchell uh, Student Media Center, which is Watson, that whole bottom floor. Dr. Wright, I want to I want to ask you, because we're going to kind of chronologically here, this is not something that comes up often when you've told the story of JPZ, but we've gotten to the mid-80s now. We're on FM. A few years after that, a moment that was infamous and unfortunately very well remembered in JPZ history and SU history, and that's Pan Am 103. Oh, yes. What do you remember about that and the station? Boy, I tell you, that was a sad day. I was in my office. We're talking Christmas of 1988. I'm in my office at the Newhouse School checking papers. Yeah. And uh, I'm there. Christmas is coming up. The students had left the campus. I mean, everybody had gone, you know, going, leaving the campus to go home. And I was in my office that day, and I always had television sets, radios on, and I had my TV on, and the building was quiet. I mean, really quiet that day. And I was there, and all of a sudden, Tom Brokaw showed up on the TV screen. Uh, I was watching whatever, I had NBC up, Channel 3 here in Syracuse, and he said a plane crash had happened on a flight from London to New York City, and we're trying to get the details on it. I, th- I said to myself, hold it, plane from London to New York. And I said, oh my God, we got a lot of students over there in the radio, television, film semester in London. And I said, hold nobody's known that flight. Oh, I just. You had that gut feeling. I had an eerie feeling, John, and, and, and to the JPZ family, Boite. I was, and the building was quiet. I mean, yeah. there were no more, you know, the student, the semester was over and Christmas was coming up. And so I'm there, and within about another half hour, Brokaw comes on the air again and said that a Pan Am flight out of uh, 103, out of uh, London, headed for New York City, had exploded and crashed over a place called Lockerbie, Scotland. And I said, oh, my God, what? And I was thinking again about the students, you know, who were at coming back home. And then Dr. Joan Depper, Joan, uh, she died, Joan died this past year, Dr. Joan Depper, who wrote a book on this, by the way, she was in her office. And I went down and I said, Joan, I, I just, just got so on TV that a, a Pan Am flight from London headed to New York City has crashed o- over in Scotland. And I think I went to Dr. Myers and Dr. Myers kind of looked, I found he was in his office. He said, my God, that plane was kind of off course, wasn't it? I said, I don't know, but something, I don't feel right about this. And sure enough, later uh, that evening, come to find out that the students that I thought that I was thinking about were on that flight. Yeah. And one of the uh, students was a WJPZer. Steve Burrell. Yes. Rusted the bailiff Burrell, his brother, Steve, was on that flight. And I tell you, I just, I, I tell you, I just broke down and cried in my office that day, Jay. Yeah. It, and, and I tell you, and it was Christmas time coming up. Then I called my father. My mother had died in 1979 in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, at Christmas time. Mm. And uh, this is about a decade later. And I 
called my dad, said, Dad, I, I'm, I'm coming home. I, went, I hadn't planned to come home for Christmas. I was going to stay in Syracuse. And then I went home and just packed up some clothes, threw them in a the car, and just jumped in my car and drove all the way down through the night back home to Elizabeth City, North Carolina. So I got home. I said, Dad, I just, a bunch of students of mine got killed on that flight. Yeah. And uh, it was a big story here in America. So I, I, I went up that day, went to sleep that night. And my father came into my bedroom that I grew up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And he, he shook me and said, Sonny, I said, my nickname was Sonny. That was the name my uh, mother gave me. And that's a new name you JPZ don't know about, Dr. Rick. <laughs> well, anyhow, he said, look, you got a phone. I got to know on the phone. What's the time to you? I said, okay, Dad. So get, it's time to go to work. I mean, that's what Dad told me. Mm-hmm. Picked up the phone. My father had called the local radio station at WGAI in Elizabeth City, North Carolina my hometown radio station. And the announcer on the air said, oh, uh, Professor Wright, God knows we, we, we're, you were from Elizabeth City at Syracuse. I said, yes. I said, did you know anything? I said, yes, those are my, some of my students got killed on the plane. And he said, look, can, can we interview you on the air? So I went on the air at WGAI, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, that Christmas, that, that year. And I told them all about the students, you know, in the Newhouse School, students I were teaching and all. But when I heard that Steve Barella got killed, that did that. That was a Rusty's brother. Yeah, yeah, Rusty. In fact, when I was doing my doctoral dissertation here at Syracuse, uh, I did a study on the use of radio as a tool of instruction that could use to teach kids. In comparison of the effectiveness of three selected radio broadcast formats containing brief instructional messages, was the title of my doctoral dissertation. And I used three formats: AOR, CHR, and Urban Contemporary. That I basically played for three middle schools here in Syracuse, uh, Grant, Levy, and Shea. But the point I'm making is that the contemporary hit radio broadcast format that I use in my study with six uh, historical stories about Syracuse, New York, was done by Rusty the Bailiff Burrell. And in fact, at our last uh, WJPZ alumni family get-together this past spring, we finally got together, you know, out of COVID. I told Rusty, I, I brought my dissertation and the great Scotty Mike Farland. Oh my God. Boy, you all have made me proud. Scotty is there, the congressional correspondent for CBS News, and I've already got my podcast interview recorded with him. Oh man, major, you know, I always talk about major market. You know, in my in my my classes here at Zurich is getting you all ready for, you know, the biggest and best broadcast facilities in the country. And uh, some weekends when I'm watching sports. And there are at least four or five students that I've taught, you know, doing play-by-play sports, the biggest doggone events in the country. Looking at Mike Tirico tonight, NBC, Sunday Night Football, Sean McDonough, Iron Eagle. Oh, God. Adam Shine. Oh, God. And listen, man. All these guys. All these guys. All my guys. That transitions me actually into a story I want to ask you to tell. Because I had mentioned this to another alum, and they said, I don't know the story. I said, how do you not know the story? Remind me what happened, um, the Larry King story, on air with Larry King. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Mike Tarico and the, the crew from WAER were going down to cover the Georgetown Syracuse basketball game. Right. And I told Mike and the guys, I said, guys, when you get down to, 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 to Washington, man, you guys should go over to Mutual Broadcasting Company and meet Larry King. Larry King at that time had an all-night talk show, and that baby was on. In fact, he resurrected the mutual broadcasting system with its all-night talk show for stuff with 
12 midnight to like six, five in the morning. And Larry King had the long form interviews. We I mean, had all the top movie stars. Oh, yeah. Presidents and all. And I told Mike guys, go over and meet Larry King. You know, if y'all do the game. So they had already, I did a big Georgetown Syracuse basketball game, you know, which in those days, man, Georgetown Syracuse. Wow. What a war. What some incredible stories we can tell you about that, that, that series. It's a whole other podcast, but you're but, absolutely but, right. But anyhow, <laughs> so they go over to uh, Mutual and, you know, telephone, they're, you know, from Syracuse University, Newhouse School of Broadcast, sportscasters, and uh, like they meet Mr. Larry King. So they go up in the studio. And they are sitting there, Larry King is on the air. Mike and the guys are sitting there. I think I was uh, looking into the studio at Neutral, which is over, what, what's that, Robert E. Lee? What's the name of the highway over in Arlington? It's where Neutral had their studios in those days. Mm-hmm. Well, anyhow, they were there, and they were sitting around, and then uh, I think Larry King had finished up that first hour, and Mike and the guys were just sitting there. Nobody really came out, and they were listening to Larry King's show. So... Larry King is ending up that that hour with somebody he had on the phone, maybe a former, maybe President Jimmy Carter or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says on the air, he said, okay, in the next hour, we're going to find out what it takes to become a broadcaster, a sportscaster. And I got students here from Syracuse University, the Newhouse School, and Mike and them looked and they'll be up next. And so they all go into the studio and, um, Larry King interviews Mike Tirico and all the, the WAER sports crew. And I'm home and I'm here in uh, Syracuse. I'm living out in Liverpool, listening to the show. I said, oh, my God, my, my God they, they, they got there. And Larry King was interviewing them. And then Larry King always had one statement that is to all to the broadcast industry. If you're looking for the next major, a major sportscaster, all you got to do is call up the Syracuse, New York, the Newhouse School, and asked for a Professor Rick Wright and asked him who's next and who's ready. But anyhow, then after they had did the uh, interview, I think they were on the air with an hour. I called, I called the uh, called the show up, and got uh, Larry King comes up, Syracuse, New York. I said, uh, Mr. King, hi, I'm Professor Rick Wright of the Newhouse School. He said, Oh my God, Professor, you're doing a great. I said, Those are my students, and I said, Thank you so much for interviewing my my, my students. Uh, on your radio show. And that was the story that night. Yes. That, that neutral, is worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, my, my, my way as a professor, I love the industry. My life has been basically the professional world of broadcasting. I got started when I was 15 years old. My father was uh, an electrician and a motion picture projectionist for a company called the Virginia Carolina Amusement Company down in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. They owned all the theaters in Northeast and North Carolina bunch of theaters all around Norfolk, Virginia. So I, and I was an audio visual geek. So I really, you know, I love the industry and worked a lot of radio stations and I've taught in five universities, 40 at Syracuse. And of course, also Naval officer, retired captain there, but I just love people. I love the industry and I love teaching. And I think John, the greatest thing you've done, even on this day of being on this a wonderful pod, by the way, podcasting or podcasts are really the children of radio broadcasting. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to make that statement, which I love. But this is just a wonderful moment for me. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. 
Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. I don't want to let you go yet unless you have a, 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 a unless you have a hard stop. I got a, a couple other things to ask you about here, Professor. No, I don't have a hard stop. I'm, I'm here at Bird Library, fifth floor on the campus of Syracuse University. The sun is shining outside, and this is a moment that will go down in my book in history itself. Having this wonderful opportunity to talk about WJPZ Radio. Well, I just appreciate you sharing these stories with us so that we have a, a, a place to keep them all because we, we, those of us have heard the stories and passed the stories down, but to hear them straight from you. We're kind of going chronologically here through the station and we're into the 90s now, I would say. These are the flamethrower days of the Hal Rude and and Scott Meach and all those guys from the early 90s, many of which we're going to have on the podcast. That's when the station really hit its stride and was going toe-to-toe with 93Q. Those are some times, too. Oh, 93Q. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I have the senior moment. Oh, my, what's his name? Bill McMartin. What's his name? General Manager of 93Q. The 100,000 water here in Syracuse. Okay, here's what I, I did. True story, folk. In fact, every Monday morning when I got into my office at the Newhouse School here in Syracuse, Bill McMartin, yes, the general manager, vice president of 93Q would be calling me on the telephone. And JG, John, what was he asking? What, what, what did he tell me? Can you get an idea? I'm guessing he's saying, what are these kids doing? They're taking money out of my pocket. Yes, that's exactly what he was basically saying. He was saying, hey, Rick, well, well I heard you, you got this radio station, man. These, these college kids, they're sounding too professional. He told me. <laughs> he said, the station sounds too good. I said, well, Bill, I mean, I'm training. This is what they suppose they're college students, man. And he was complaining every week. I got a phone call about I got to I got to cut back on this WJPZ. I said, but no, it's competition. I said, and then I told one day, I said, Bill, you mean to tell me you got a 100,000 watt ever, 93 power. You know, there are only 200 kilowatters in Syracuse, WSYR, which is now Y94 at WNTQ, uh, which is 93Q. Right. You're only 200,000 watts. And Bill, you got an effort with a 100,000 watt signal. And you mean tell me that some college students at Syracuse University with a 100 watt non-commercial FM station is kicking? Oh, I didn't know I shut up. <laughs> I said, Bill, hey. And they're, I said, by the way, you should hire the WJPZ staff, if you're having a problem, <laughs> because, because really at that time, because Birch and Arbitron were the two rating services, yep. and the Birch system used a telephone, I think, which was a more a, a greater data sampling process than the diary system that Arbitron used. And I mean, Birch, they simply call up on the telephone to a demographic category and say, hey, what's your favorite radio station? Right. And I think they were calling up, you know, 12 plus 12 plus demo, like 12 to what, 12 to 20 years old around Syracuse. And they came in, WJPZ was number one in the city. <laughs> number one in Birch ratings. I mean, big numbers and long time, you know, time spent listing numbers and everything. By the way, what I'm indicating is WJPZ was, was, was just working havoc of 93Q and they 100,000 watts here in Syracuse. So that was the early 90s. And then as we get into the later 90s, uh, folks like Harry Waring, Dina Jacoby, they helped shepherd the station through some very difficult times with receivership and some some really uh, tough moments for the station was in jeopardy. Yeah, you know, some tough moments, too. Yeah. Also, uh, 
Oh, my God, I'm having a senior moment. He'll kill me. Oh, God, Scott Taylor. <laughs> Scott Taylor. Scott. Scott, I love you. Scott became a big superstar with all the big broadcasters. Scott was a money guy, is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. And um, the station in those real heydays, the summertime in Syracuse, WJPZ had a thing called the WJPZ Z89 Days of Summer. 89 Days of Summer. Yep. Which would end up at the Great New York State Fair. And they would give away a car. I mean, a brand new car. And they had, of course, we had the, the, the rules for non-commercial broadcasts have been kind of relaxed on the sponsorship side. So you really could, you know, you could, you could really have some advertisers is what I'm getting. That's what is also happening in non-commercial broadcasting to this very day. You know, yeah. a new way of, with well, you really can't have the real spots of, it's the greatest thing in the world, blah, blah, blah. You know, but you could say, oh, this, this hour has been brought to you by blah, blah, blah. Well, any of those in Auburn, we'll deal with Auburn. I think Scott and the guys have made a deal with, and they say, look, we'll give you a car to give away. And Z in the summertime, man, I mean, you ride all over the town, go to the beaches out at, uh, oh my God, the Sylvan Beach, you name mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. WJPZ, all on the air, blasting. And the 89 days of summer, they had a big contest given away that this car would be given away on Labor Day. So those kind of deals go. Well, what I'm mentioning, Scott, uh, Scott's leadership, the station really as a, as a beautiful, incredible radio broadcast laboratory, it was making money. <laughs> and uh, that's quite a bit of money in the bank. Uh, I could give you the figure, but it was a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a money in the bank uh, for WJPZ. And then eventually, uh, you know, student management comes and goes. And then the management came along, saw that money. They want to change the format to a whole nother format. That did really work, but we could get it. But let me get back to this receivership side. Mm -hmm. Basically, what happened there, God knows that I tried to pull everybody together. Uh, there were students who basically felt they were being shut out of WJPZ, uh, you know, within this leadership and having an offer and a chance to learn the business. And um, I think at the time, I, so I have real mixed emotions about how did I handle that situation in those days? Really? And uh, yes, I do. And I think I could have uh, stepped up, kind of avoided this, but I was trying to appease some folk. You know, it was my baby too. I didn't want to, well, anyhow, what had happened was technically um, we had some students who basically went through student affairs and all, and basically, you know, pretty much what you call would say, sue the station. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, they, uh, student organizational side of the deal, not the radio side, was basically uh station went into a receivership is what I'm getting at. That was about the time when I got there. I got there in yes. the fall of ninety eight. Yes. So that was that was rough wrapping up then. Um I, I want to switch gears here because But you know I will say this though. Uh huh. I got a phone call from uh Chancellor Shaw's wife. Mm -hmm. Chancellor Shaw, Miss Mary Shaw, lover. She called her say, Professor Wright don't get too involved. Uh, you're the faculty advisor for WJPZ. But I never forget she told me something. She said, back, just back off. She said, the student, this is a learning experience going on. Hmm. And uh, you just stand by and uh, make the adjustments as you see. But this, everything's going to be okay. You know, I said, yes, it will be. Uh, Mrs. Shaw, the chancellor's wife, called me on the phone. And I never forget she, then I met her one day we, on Marshall Street. She said, no. 
the students have to work this out themselves. It's a learning experience because they got to run into the same identical kind of situation, especially the management students, once they get into the industry itself. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. So she was telling us a teaching moment. And she said, no, you don't, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to, you know, the students will come and go here at the university. And that's what the chancellor's, uh, uh, Chancellor Shaw's wife told me, said, she looked at me and held my hand and said, it's a learning environment. Let me just give you from another perspective. That's what we are here as a university to teach and get our, 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 our lungs out of here to be able to handle life's problems and handle those kind of challenges. So that moment, as I look at it now, as I've gotten older, it was a great teachable moment. There you go. And a lot of the people who were involved in it, I think that particular uh, scenario that happened with the station went into a level of receivership. That was through student affairs, by the way. The license was okay. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm getting from that standpoint. The point I make is a teachable moment. A lot of our people in that era have ended up in some of the biggest leadership roles, you know, in the broadcast industry today. Uh, So I, so I, I, as I look at it now, the big picture and how I handle that, success was on the table. (laughs) People, everybody learned, you know, about, what needs to be done. A couple years later, another learning situation near and dear to my heart. So it would have been 2000, 2001. Yes. When they were rebuilding the station, we referenced this earlier, and we were moved into a house off campus over on Ostrom. And we had to jury rig that thing together. We had uh, John Farrakhani and Rob Crandall and Stephen Kurtz and so many others where you would lose the station under a bridge like AM at one point. There was a mysterious tone at the top of the hour. Uh, What do you remember about the house on Ostrom? I loved it. In In fact, I got to a point because the house gave WJPZ. It's biggest facility ever. Okay, we had the whole house. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it. I, I tell you what, really, from the standpoint of being being the advisor for the station, I got over and saw this house. I said, "My God!" I was thinking about the basement, then the the the, the third floor, the attic. You know, the names of Mike Roberts, and then I would move over to Watson. And the reason was that Watson was being renovated into a brand new student media center. Right, and we had to move to the house. And in fact, I didn't get. In fact, um. Designing construction, they called me and they said, Professor, we'll give, we'll give WJPC a whole house. And we got in there and had space galore. And then all of a sudden, I got thinking, said, man, we should stay here, but, you know, get some money to really fix the house up. But, of course, the university had other plans and all those houses got torn down. That was a that was a big picture. As the VP of operations that year in the house, I'm glad to say we got out of the house and got to a new state oh, of the yes, studio. I, I hope I don't embarrass you here, but there oh, was a you mo- never can embarrass okay, me. Okay, good. Never, I, well, never. you may change your mind in a second here. No, I won't change my mind. We had uh, we had Peterman and Marty D on the morning show in that house, uh-huh. and they did a bit with you on a walkie-talkie, walking through the house live on the air, describing the house over the air, and I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, live on the air, you said, "Oh." Well, that's a used condom. Let's get away from that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Do you remember that? I've forgotten all about that, Peter, but I loved it. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, no embarrassments in radio, man. I mean, my God, for that era. Oh, okay. yes. We were yeah, describing the, the facility itself. But also, I tell you, that I'll indicate again, I, you know, we, we had the facility in the house. It was on Ostrom Avenue, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. In fact, I, I really thought, really, when I walked over, because you know, having seen the station from that famous knock on the door in 1975 with Craig and Bill came to my office and I first saw the facility down in the basement of the big house, which was really the ad hoc student 
you know, student union building in Syracuse at that time. What a great weather. Sheraton Hotel sits there. Yep. Remember that very first site. Now I'm looking at the station there in this house with all this space, had a balcony, a porch you could look out. And of course, still, you guys got to realize I'm a, I'm a, a poor little guy who grew up in North Carolina, man. And coming to Syracuse, man. And we're, I worked a lot of stations that were not dumps, but you know, I was in a radio station, the radio <laughs> station, man. People, people are not, not worried about what it looks like. You know, it's a jock on the air. Hopefully got equipped to get the signal out. <laughs> then I worked facilities. I never forget we built the brand new studios in Norfolk, Virginia, downtown Plaza shopping center studios for WRAP back in the 1960s. And it was in a shopping center, man. And people could come by and see the jocks on the air. All the beautiful furniture had a brand new gates, uh, gates board, the new transistor ones that they had just come out with. Fantastic facility. But again, I think I was looking at the space side of it, uh, John, you know, all the space that we had. But of course, they were going to turn the house. The house has been torn down there. And we, but again, renovations were taking place to what? Watson, you know? And everything, everything that came from there. So a few years later, uh, we are, and I'm not sure how much of the story you know, so I want to get, I want to give you my side of it and I want to get your side of it. Okay. So if I said the phrase Rick Wright radio bingo, would that mean anything to you? Oh God. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, so before I hear your side of it, I want to give you the other side of it. So this is, uh, it was either homecoming or fall conference in 2003. Several of us are sitting around having beers at Fagan's and we're trying to come up with fundraising ideas for the banquet. And we think about the great story of the history of the station that you would tell every year. And we, there are several of us there and we came up with the idea of a bingo game and we put a number of key phrases and names and call letters that you would tell in the story on a bunch of bingo cards. Yes. And instead of R, instead of B-I-N-G-O, it was R-A-D-I-O across the top. And it became this great fundraiser. It was a 50-50. And if you got not bingo, but radio, you had to jump up and yell radio in the middle of the speech and, and you got half the pot and it ended up being a great fundraiser. But I feel like after a few years of this, after trying to get one over on the old professor, that you figured it out. And yeah, at that I, point, you would just yeah. mess with us and just throw out <laughs> random call letters and random stations and random things that you never even mentioned in the story before just to mess with us and have fun with the game. Tell yeah. me, is that accurate? Accurate. I did not know. Here, let's get it. It took me about three years, though, before <laughs> I figured out what the hell was happening. Because, <laughs> you know, the bottom line is that this is our annual uh, WJPZ uh, alumni get-together that we have. In fact, I've always been just amazed at how all of you come back in the wintertime. Of course, in Syracuse, you know, the end of February and around <laughs> yes. March, the Tells winter you how is, much we love this place. Winter is still kicking, and you all have come in in snow, snow storms and everything. And somebody invariably gets snowed in and misses their flight back the next day. And and they are just, you know, calling. I got, I'm trying to get their professor. Hey, Matt Friedman out of Detroit. <laughs> the, the big A-C-K-L-W. Matt Friedman called me one time. Said, Matt, I'm, I'm at the airport, professor. I'm going to get there. Don't, don't worry. Tell everybody I'm on my way. You know, snow stops. I hit Syracuse. And I'm here in Detroit with Matt. And he tried to fly out that year and didn't make it. He got delayed, 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 canceled. Yes. He had a snowstorm here. And I drove out the day before and I made it because I got there ahead of the snow. <laughs> oh, God. Well, getting back to Rick Wright Bingo. All right. I usually show up about an hour or so just see everybody. And yeah. I'm walking around the hotel. We normally have this, folk. By the way, folks, we had our the big banquets at the Sheraton. 
in the very spot where the station was founded. <laughs> I mean, when it was in the old house. So I'm walking around and boy, meeting everybody and my God, hey, Dion Dion, it was there. Dion Dion is uh, running all the urban programming over at Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Another future podcast yes. guest. Yes. yes, Mary Mary Mancini over there. Dina, all, all our family, just incredible. So everybody's around and y'all got the big table set up where you check in, get your name tags and everything. And then I'm seeing some students over there pulling out money. You know, you all coming back, Matt. I was coming with a whole hot fistful of hundred dollar bills and stuff. <laughs> and y'all are y'all are buying tickets over there, whatever. I, you know, I, I noticed this. So that's the first year. And then I was thought, you know, I, y'all would bring me up on the on the stage and God, I thought y'all were just tired of this old professor giving y'all this story. But of course, we got new people coming in every year. So I'm trying to, you know, keep the historical timeline mm-hmm. passed down to the next generation of broadcasters. That's what we're doing today. And so I'm there giving a story. I started talking about my world of radio broadcasting. And I tell the story when I was a little high school kid, I wanted to meet this new disc jockey named Frankie Drake. And Frankie was on a station WCNC in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And I'm saying, you know, I, when I want to go out to the radio state, this is the moment that got me for radio. I rode my bicycle out down the, this dirt road with pine trees on both sides, dusty road. And I pull up, there's the, there's the building, WCNC. And there's an MG sports car parked there in front. And I knocked on the door and I thought I was getting run away. And a guy comes to the door and he looks at me and he said, hey. You like radio, don't you? I said, yes, sir. Come on in. And the thing about it, this guy had a show called The Night Train, Frankie Drake. He was on every night at 8 o'clock. And his show was aimed at high school kids, you know, and high school students were writing letters to Frankie about, you know, their girlfriend or their, yeah, yeah. you know, he would read the letters out of the air. And this goes out to, to, to John. John, your girlfriend, uh, 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 Luana called in and said, she wrote me a letter that she loves you, but you won't pay any attention in the hallway of the high school. This stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I get there and I'm in the studio. And then Frankie Drake, a uh, mutual uh, network was on. And I think Gabriel Heather was on the air, you know, one of the network of news shows. And the break, and he looked at me, come on out. I'm in the control room. One of those old Collins boards with a transmitter behind with the glass. I'm seeing the modulation meter bouncing back and forth. Man, I was in heaven. So then he, he comes on and and this kind of shows I would tell you guys. And uh, I would say, and then Frankie would hit the mic and I would, uh, you know, look at it, boy. And he would say, this is WCNC, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I'm Frankie Drake. Check me out tonight at eight with the night train. Oh, by the way, they got a young man in the stage from P.W. Moore High School. Sonny Wright, man, he's here. Boy, I, I was, you know, the headphones in the studio mm-hmm. that did it. And then somebody in the audience Oh, that is at our at our banquet with holla bingo. <laughs> I got it. Not bingo, radio. No, no, he was like radio. Yeah, that's it, radio. And I said, hey, what's happening here? You know. <laughs> so, so then next year, same thing. I started giving all these stories about growing up in radio broadcasting. W L L E Raleigh, W A N T Richmond, W R A P Norfolk. Okay, W T N J Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, W A N N Annapolis, Maryland, with a happy Adams. Okay, I get it. Then Thomas Hollow's radio, another year goes by. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I had the game. Yeah, Rick Wright, bingo. And then I'm telling here's an old professor, you know, I'm, and, and you know, I, I, I've been kind of faking it, John. You know, you guys thought I was brilliant, you know. 
<laughs> I'm really humble and shy, guy. You can't believe. No, yeah, you, 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 yeah. You, you're about as about as shy as you are. I'm so, not brilliant. No, you're great. So anyhow, I finally, I think, about the third year of of you all <laughs> doing a Rick Wright bingo at the WJPZ, you know, alum thing. We places packed. Everybody's having some nice drinks and everything, and everybody's there looking nice. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, the WJPZ alumni is probably the greatest and largest and probably the most fantastic group of radio broadcast students in the country Agreed. right here at Syracuse University. I mean, our alums are just leaders in the industry in all kind of areas. And I'm just fat. So that's the audience. So then I said, oh, my God, I see what's happening here. Because uh, y'all would win the, what was it? You, you put the money in, we all got 50% or what? Yeah, it was a 50-50. So 50-50. We, every, everybody would buy tickets for, I think, 25 bucks. And yeah. then half would go to the station and the alumni association. And the other half would go to whoever got radio first. And I said, oh, wow. My then I finally got what was happening. <laughs> and then you started messing with us because yes. you would throw out stuff that wasn't on anybody's card because it was stories you'd never told before. Well, also, the next thing about it, I think what would really help me finally was that I came early and I saw these cards that y'all. Oh, you saw the cards. I, I said, that's what. But it, look, it didn't happen. It, it happened like three years later. OK, I mean, three years have gone by and the game was getting bigger and bigger than ever. And then all of a sudden I was noticed, I got there early and you all were, you know, handing the money over to the table, you know, the, the, you know, the big table, all the name tags on it, the WJPZ banner. Then you all were coming back with all this paraphernalia from radio stations all over the country that y'all were to giveaway stuff, whatever. And I thought that was it. But then I saw these cards, bingo cards. And then I realized that everybody, when I was giving the story, of WJPZ and the story of Rick Wright all through the night radio. (laughs) That was what was happening. And I said, Oh my God, Rick, you got to do another, you got to approach this thing differently, man. Eventually someone's going to get it, but you got to go into your bag of radio stories (laughs) and pull out some stories that they don't even know about. And man, I tell you, I got a lot of radio stories. Really, I'm telling you. And that's, that's the reason the book I'm writing now, I turned up the radio. Because there's some uh, great announcements. I think I was in Annapolis, Maryland this summer. I'm on the board of directors of the National Naval Officers Association. I'm the historian. We represent Navy Marine Corps and Coast Guard officers all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I was at Annapolis this summer. In fact, my birthday was 24 July. I went down on the train to Baltimore. And Admiral Sinclair Harris, I'm proud to pick me up. Checked into the Western Big Five Star Hotel in Annapolis. And then I was thinking about my old buddy, Hoppy Adams, who was a great disc jockey at WANN Annapolis, Merle, 1190 on the dial. This is an urban station with uh, 10,000 watts. In fact, they eventually went to 50,000 watts. And uh, they had a big beach on the Chesapeake Bay. And especially back in the days when, this, when the South was segregated, it's basically station aimed at our urban audiences, African-American audiences. Sure. And they used to pack in like 40,000 people at Cars Beach, broadcasting live over WAN in Annapolis, Maryland. Hoppy died, of course, a number of years ago. Another guy that, uh, story, I don't think I ever told you all about that story, but I would come up with a story like that that I know I never told you before. And I'm playing with y'all. Then I finally would say, okay, let me let somebody win this bingo game. But you just, the, the perfect choice of words, you were playing with us because we thought we'd get one over on you. And we might have for a year or two, but then you had the last laugh in the end. Oh, yeah. And then finally I realized what was happening. And so thank God I, I had a bunch of other radio stories. In fact, a lot of stories. I'm trying, I'm trying, I don't forget all these stories in this book. 
that I'm working on right there at Bird Library. But yes, and that was it. I said, let me work with him. Let, let me be the radio professor there, the historian <laughs> of radio. Let me come up with some radio stories that they do not know about, or either they might know about if they're really genius scholars like they are. But that was it. Yes, the Rick Wright Bingo game. Proving once and for all that you were the professor and we were the students. Yes. A couple things I want to ask you about as we start to wrap up here, Dr. Wright. So the first is, 50 years of Z89, WJPZ, in all the different formats, and you've seen it all. What is your biggest takeaway of the radio station half a century later? I tell you what, uh, the radio station is still kicking. And in fact, I'm an old dad. I got to bring up my son's name, uh, Roosevelt Reuben Wright III. Quick aside, uh, it was a moment for me when I remember as a student, you pushing Ruben around in a stroller. And then yes. the next and then the next thing I know, I'm at a banquet and he's having a drink with me. And I'm saying, whoa, what how did that happen? <laughs> yes. Well, Ruben got his undergrad degree uh, from Newhouse and the Maxwell School mm-hmm. and then he got his master's degree uh, from uh, Newhouse. And uh, right now he's a big marketing digital media expert with a company here in Syracuse right there. He's also ran the operation over WCNY. Mm-hmm. Then he was working with Legends, a big group with the athletic program here yep. in Syracuse. And some guys call him up and offered another job even bigger. But uh, he's JPZ or two. But the point I'm making is um, just thinking about, uh, you know, uh, I think of Cousin Danny and Larry Barron doing that morning show where they call over to the Tri-Delts sorority. <laughs> and they call over and act, and they said they were the management of the Sheraton Hotel on the air. You think of Howard Stern, all the prank phone calls that are done on the air. This is the one that I never will ever forget. Okay, but these are live. What I'm getting at, radio's ability to localize with live local announcers in the studio is still its greatest attribute. And I go over to WJPZ with that beautiful facility we got with all that great equipment and everything, and there's nobody there. The computer is running it. I mean, there's students around who do show up, but the days when uh, the JPC I remember grew up with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including holidays, somebody was back to keep the station on the air and always yes, someone live there in the studios. Well, you actually are teeing me up for the other question that I was going to ask you, because I think there are some who would push back on what you just said and say the idea of JPZ is to train students to work in commercial radio. And you know this better than anybody, Dr. Wright. The state of commercial radio, I was going to ask you about your thoughts on this. There are a lot of computers, and I think there was an article written that said that there were more commercial radio stations in Syracuse than DJs at one point. Yes. So in a way, it's kind of a reflection of where the industry is right now. But you know what, John? The industry right now, I think uh, it's in sort of a, they, they kind of overpriced radio back in the 1990s. Telecom Act in 96 and everything after that, sure. And uh, basically, uh, we got companies that got, I think, too big. Uh, you know, one company owning all these stations, by sure. the way. Then an economic downturn happened. And trying to stay afloat. This one group, I won't even mention their name. They sold off a bunch of stations one day for cash flow problems. Those problems are still on the table. What's really saving in these stations is basically running it with no people, no payroll. Yeah. But what is sad about this moment is radio's ability to entertain, to communicate, inform, and educate audiences is incredible when you have live people in the studio. 
And what's so fair and great there, the technology that we have there, you can do some incredible stuff. But the bottom line is we have technology leading the process, got it? Mm-hmm. And we should have people in the studios leading the technology in the creation of content. And what I'm getting at, a lot of our students of this generation, they haven't heard the radio stations when you had uh, seven announcers at one station, you know, working the different day parts, 24 yeah. hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, the days when, it, say, say if it's a big concert, it's going to be in town. Maybe Prince Elton John, by the way, was just here in Syracuse. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was his last show. He had the great show. I heard at, at the dome, big show. I think it drew like forty thousand people. Well, Prince came in a big show here in the eighties. Uh, he drew what forty five thousand people to what was called then the Carrier Dome. Of course, and there's a new title. I think we're all still calling it the Carrier Dome. Yeah, it's a new title. They put new signs on the building right now as we speak. What's the running joke? The Carrier Dome didn't have air conditioning, and the JMA Wireless Dome doesn't have good <laughs> Wi-Fi. Well, JMA, I think they're trying to straighten it out quick, but you're right. <laughs> you're definitely right. In fact, they put a new name, JMA, big new, uh, uh, they, of course, they big developers of the 5K network, which they're working on right now. And by the way, we got a new uh, situation just happened. In fact, Syracuse, this area of central New York, just landed a major game changer in Micron. Micron, they are coming to town. Yes, the chips, producing the chips. The things that basically is in every electronic device that we use for memory will be, Syracuse become the capital of the world in the area of semiconductors and chips. So that's just getting ready to be named. But again, the point I'm getting back is, boy, to all our radio, the new group of radio broadcasts want to get into our industry. Man, I, you know, every town had that radio star that we don't have now. Mm. One size does not fit all. I'm talking about syndication. Of course. And I'm talking about voice tracking. I mean, you got, here's a company now, got one announcer who's voice tracking in, what, eight or nine markets? And, they, I mean, they're just basically introing the music, and they're talking about they're driving through. Go to our website. If you want to find out the latest happening in your community, well, you on the air. Why don't you tell me what's <laughs> happening on the air right there? And, you know, the sociological difference. Every city is different. Yes. And I remember as a young kid, man, in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, my mother, Miss Lily May Wright, Bobby Supreme, she used to work for a very wealthy doctor who loved radios, and he knew I loved electronics and radios. And every time he bought new radios, he would give me his old radios. And my mother brought home one time a Helicrafters S38. D, six band shortwave receiver that would pick up, you know, the, the medium wave band and all the shortwave bands. And I wanted an antenna uh, system from uh, Allied Radio out of Chicago. Those days, we could, like you guys, can order something else in your house within five hours, <laughs> you know. But those days, I had to wait two weeks and I got saved my money. And I put up this antenna, 75 foot antenna between the house and another building. And I would sit there at DX radio stations at night with the headphones out of my bedroom. Oh, you could pick up anything. WBZ, KDKA, all those clear channel stations. Man, yeah, I couldn't wait for the sun to go down. Those big powerhouse AMers. But the thing is, here I'm in Elizabeth City, North Carolina in the wintertime. And there was a big disc jockey called The Hound, The Hound Dog, broadcasting on KB, WKBW, Buffalo, 1520 on the dial. Now, here's a kid who's never been upstate New York, and I'm listening to KB at night, and he gives a weather forecast. Talking about <laughs> snow shower, snowstorm coming off of Lake Erie. I've never really seen snow before. But that, then of course, I, here's SB Atlanta or WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee, 
which had an all-night urban show with John Richburg, Oss Allen, G. Nobles, man, 50,000 waters. I mean, and what I'm getting at, all of these different radio stations, WABC New York, you know, and I'm listening to WLS Chicago. Those live local announcers were giving you a sociological feel for where they were broadcasting from. Yes. And you were there listening to this, and you got that kaleidoscope, man, of America. And then, of course, I never forget that night, man, one night, a Sunday night, I'm trying to get WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee, which was uh, urban. They had R&B at night and also gospel. Mm -hmm. And this night, that was a Chuck Berry record. Man, the signal was loud as could be. And all of a sudden, a guy came up on the air and said, hey, baby, you got the Wolfman here. Wolfman Jack. Oh, wow. XERF, Del Rio, Texas. And we are going to Mexico with 250,000 watts, baby. And the wolves are howling and everything. I said, and it was at 1520. No, no, it was, hold it, 1570 on the dial because KB was at 1520. WLAC was 1510. And, I was, and it was at 1570 on the dial. XERF, 250 watts. And Wolfman Jack, the first time I ever heard, I said, man, wow. But the point I'm getting at is that celebrity has not died, uh, John, JG. You got it? Yeah. Celebrity. I mean, our populace right now, the Democrats people, they love celebrity. And what was, radio was the greatest creator of celebrities. Agreed. Every town had that one jock, that one DJ. And I was mentioning the Elton John concert where you were on the air. And when a big act came to town, you know, the first place that the act went to before the they radio station. to the hotel, they went to the radio station. Right. And here you on the air, you know, the Johnny G show. Here's Elton John coming in town, Syracuse. And you and that also, you open up the door the control room. There's Elton John standing there. He was still standing. Stay, yo, it, it comes in and those days, you know, you had flexibility with your format when you had the, you know, the, of course, they already bought all this airtime in there, you know, advertising the show. But the point I'm making is that every town had that one or two disc jockeys who were really, you know, like they were the king of the show. And mm -hmm. it's, I, there's one statement I think I'll lay on you. My godmother, who I love so much, Mrs. Leola Dyson, WRAP, Norfolk, Virginia. And I was, she taught me many things, but this is one thing she always told me about radio. She said, Godson, Roosevelt. I said, yes, Mrs. Dyson, you love radio. And she said, here's what you got to do when you get into a leadership role in radio broadcasting, you own your own station, you're programming it or whatever. What you want to do with your radio station is make your format, whatever. Say, we've got to talk about urban, country, top 40, jazz, whatever, talk. No. What you want to do is make your format so compelling with entertainment, information, education, and reach out to the audiences that you are trying to serve that you would make your radio station become a part of the family of your listeners. She knew back then. It's still true now. And she said, that this is when you know you have won. Here are some robbers who have just broken into a house. All right. And they got these people at gunpoint. <laughs> and, then they, and then they say, okay, I tell you what we're going to do. We'll give you a chance to make one phone call <laughs> before we blow you away. Who does the family in trouble or distress? I, that might be too much of a, or let's say the family just ran out of money or something. No, but your, your point is well taken. Who do they call? They don't call the police. They don't call City Hall. 
they called the disc jockey at the radio station. And they called the disc jockey at the radio station because everybody's listening to that jock locally. What I'm getting at, Mrs. Dyson says that when people are in trouble, they call the radio station. When they call the radio station, instead of calling the police, you know you're what with regards to the power you know, of your radio station in that particular community or demographic that you're serving. I like that. Last radio question for you related to that. Do you think, and we won't mention the big companies by name, but we all know who you're talking about. If smaller companies can take back over and put live local DJs that become parts of the community back in place, can that save radio at this point? Yes, it can. And that is what's going to save radio. Boy, I've been writing radio off ever since the 1920s. Well, that writing, it was getting going. Ever since TV started. Ever since television started. And radio had to find a new direction to go when television assumed the format of radio. And prime time, of course, was for television became that, what, 8 to 12 midnight, Mm -hmm. you know, a time day par for television. So radio had to reinvent itself. And of course, uh, what was available were live DJs and music, of course. And then the sociological impact of music. We got to go into the history of rhythm and blues and rock and roll music that was there. And all those artists that popped up created, you know, we, and then we had our diversification of formats and all. But the thing I'm getting at is this. The fire sale is coming. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Roosevelt Rick Wright Jr., Speaking to uh, John on his great podcast celebrating the 50th anniversary of WJPZ Radio here at Syracuse University, which is a leader in mass communications. And uh, the thing I want to indicate is the fire sale is coming. And that fire sale that's coming is going to allow us to get back to locally owned radio stations. I can only hope for the sake of radio, you are right. This, I'm just saying, this is going to happen. I'm telling you. And, it, and to all our great leaders who are running the industry right now, uh, a lot of you guys want to sell and get out of the business, but we've got a whole new generation of uh, broadcasters like here at Syracuse being trained. And I'm still around campus. I, I retired 10 years ago, well, about nine years ago from the faculty, but I'm still around as a professor emeritus and I'm working with doctoral students, graduate students, and the sports media program at Newhouse. I get calls all the time to come over to talk to the students especially this year, I got some great graduate students. So I keep laying on them. The fact is hang up because I said the key thing is to get into an ownership at a decision-making level because radio, I mean, look, radio is the most highly efficient, inexpensive tool to reach people. I know we got the internet. We know we got all these other platforms. I was just looking at um, a story on the, I got one of the stories, one of the big publications. Uh, it's a radio world. I just looking at it this morning and looking at the, photographs of the hurricane that just wiped out Southwest Florida. Yeah. And they were saying a radio station that was in, uh, in fact, that the station that got wiped out down there, they got back on the air, is Renda, one of our WJPZ. Tony Renda. Tony. I think that's got to be, it said Renda Broadcasting. Station got to work, but they were able to get that baby back on the air. But the point I'm getting at, with all the power is gone, disasters struck, the electricity is gone. Man, the internet, all these tools we got is gone. But guess what? There's a thing called radio broadcasting. Radio stage with a generator running. Got a microphone, a board made to plug that baby in. And of course, there everybody's got these mobile phones and stuff. Maybe you might have go through a, oh my God, a grid to get that. But you still the old transistor radio with, you know, two AA batteries in it. Gives you a system of communication. Absolutely. So what I'm getting with all these great technological tools that we got are wiped out in a disaster. 
a big baby called radio broadcasting can be put in place quickly. Terrestrial radio, right signal, right power. But somebody behind that microphone say, hey, folk, hey, collision is coming. You got to run for cover. <laughs> but right now, there's nobody in the radio station to do what, John? To say, run for cover. Something real simple. Last question for you, Dr. Wright, and thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. The WJPZ Alumni Association that you see every year, every March or February in Syracuse. Yes. What is your takeaway or your message to the Alumni Association? And we have gotten so much from you out of the last 50 years. What have you gotten out of the group as a whole of the Alumni Association? I tell you, for me, uh, boy, as a guy, you know, poor guy who grew up in Northeastern North Carolina, uh, family was not wealthy, but dad was a real good provider. I mean, I, I grew up in the industry. And in my wildest dreams, I never would realize that I would have ended up 40 years on a great university like Syracuse and probably the number one school in mass communications and teach. And they are in retirement, man, to be home and to listen to the radio. And I, I just like the other day, I turned the TV on and I switched over to CBS to watch the nightly news and up popped Scotty McFarlane. Yep. And I just tears flows when I, when I see this. I said, my God, here's a WJPZ who in and I'm bringing up Scott because y'all have changed the bingo scenario around and now you do it differently would not just be given the speech. You got Scotty McFarlane over the last few years, who was the biggest broadcaster at CBS in the world. He's covering Congress. And of course, right now, all the political scenarios we got in Washington. Scott's getting a lot of airtime. And he is the person who was interviewing me during the banquet. I mean, there's so many just different stories. And it's, it's really, I'm a really emotional guy. You know, I'd be sitting there in the room by myself, the tears are flowing of joy, man knowing that I had an opportunity to at least be in y'all's lives to help you get there. And right now, look what is happening today. I'm on this uh, nice facility here at Bird Library, all this computer equipment and the system that we're using to broadcast this message to the, to the whole world. And John, you are the interviewer. Major market, baby. Major market. A plus, plus, plus again, John. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you changing the grade in hindsight. Dr. Rick Wright, always a pleasure. Can't wait to see you for the banquet celebrating our 50th anniversary. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And to the WJPZ family, baby. Dr. Rick Wright from the top, 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 top of Mount Olympus. WJPZ Radio, Syracuse, New York, signing off. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. 